The Game Schooler podcast is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Sushi Go, our recommended game of the week, discuss the scars of screen time and learning games in the school of gaming, and wrap it up with a high five challenge. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, Dr. Michael McCabe. How's it going, Michael? I'm doing great, Doug. You got allergies over there. It took you four takes to get the intro down. You doing okay? You going to make it? Yeah, we're going to... I did a lot of phone time this week, so... Yeah, good for Forgive you. the raspy voice. No, a voice made for radio. You know, mm. we've talked about this before. My mother always said I have a face made for radio, so I think we're going to have a great hour of entertainment and banter and board <laughs> games and learning, right? Yeah, with a smoker's voice. All right, what'd you play this week? <laughs> well, 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 well. Do you want me to start at the positive, like fun, or the educational game that sucked? Well, if you're going to talk about garbage, get that out of the way first. All right, clearing the garbage. Played a little <laughs> I Spy Eagle Eye with my mm. kiddo, uh, Eliza, the five-year-old, chosen educational game for our, our weekly game day that we do, and that game is miserable. Uh, it's so bad, I decided, you know what, I'm going to come out for the quick and early win to get it out of the way, and man, that that hurt. Because I hurt her feelings and she threw the cards. It has this bell, this dink, dink. Anytime a board game is published by Scholastic, Scholastic mm. does a great job with books. I'm a big fan of the Scholastic Book Fair. But games from the 70s and 80s published by Scholastic, mm-hmm. probably a strong indicator mm. that it's an educational game. And Doug, what do you know about educational games? They suck. Yeah. <laughs> Stepping out of their comfort zone. Are they Scholastic on that one? Miss yeah. the boat? Boom, shakalaka. So that was... That was my chore for the week, but mm. she chose it. Choice wanted to go with it, and then played some truffle shuffle with my wife and oldest daughter over the week. And I, I love that game. I'm a big fan of that game. Same designers that did Point Salad, so truffle shuffles made it to the table a few times, and then played Llama with uh, with my middle daughter. So got some some games in with with all humans in my household. And Llama, do you know who did that one? Dr. Mm, Reiner Knizia. Yeah, so see, I've gotten my, my so, Reiner Knizia mention out of the way. Your Knizia, Phil. Yeah, and we like games. That was one of the things that's starting to happen. You know, I shared 10 episodes ago-ish that I'd been running people out away from the table because I've been trying so hard. Like, we will play four games this week. We will do that. No. Uh, you know, my, my eight-year-old kiddo said, I really like games. I really like card games. They're fun. That's what I was like. Yeah, we're winning in this house. Uh, you so, like card games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Go to Doug's house. Uh, how about you? What'd you play? Oh, uh, we played a today I played a McCabe family classic, Dragonwood. Yeah. So that went over well. I'm sure that'll hit the table again. That's a It's a fun game, isn't it? Yeah. Card card and dice game, uh really good with risk management as you are, I guess, discarding cards in order to determine how many dice you're rolling to to attack or defeat a monster, some special abilities. So good, good theming. That's by Game Right. Uh, solid, solid game for younger players. 
and then I got to play another unlock game with with Emily, and so that went cool. went really well. She's really really digging that system. And which one did you guys play? This one we did was a squeak and sausage one. Okay, is what it's called. So that's a the first one with a reoccurring character, this doctor or professor no side. Okay, that is kind of this kind of reminds me of. Um, Dr. Robotnik, is that the okay. one from Sonic the Hedgehog? Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of reminds me of that type of thing. But So we we have an unlock that's still in the wax pack that I, I picked up from you. So what what is it? Right? Foil, what should I say? What's a proper Sh- shrink, shrink, wrap. shrink wrap wax pack? Wax say, pack, that's a baseball, baseball card term. <laughs> okay. But next big rain day we have when we're kind of sitting around and there's not work to do, we're going to get that to the table. So good. All right, anything else before we move on to the recommended game of the week? Let's jump in. All right. The recommended game of the week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection, and it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game is Sushi Go by GameRite. And I got that all in one take, Doug. Can you tell us a little bit about the stats? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me about, can, how, tell me about how it works doing something in one take. And I would say no, no experience whatsoever. <laughs> no, man, tell, tell us about it. Give all us right. an overview. Sushi Go, published 2018 by GameRight. The designer, Phil Walker-Harding, you may have heard us mention him uh, previously on the podcast. The art is by Nan Rangzima. Two to five players two to eight players with Sushi Go Party. We'll talk a little bit about that as we go along. Essentially the same game. Playtime is 15 minutes for ages eight and up. I think that's probably pretty accurate. The, yeah. the according to the publisher description is pass the sushi. In this fast-playing card game, the goal is to grab the best combination of sushi dishes as they whiz by, score points for making the most maki rolls or for collecting a full set of sashimi. Dip your favorite nigiri in wasabi to triple its value. Be sure to leave room for dessert or else you'll eat your score. You'll eat it. You'll eat into your score. Ooh, good one there. Way, Way to bumble your way through this, Doug. Gather the most points and consider yourself the sushi master. So Sushi Go is essentially... Hold on, hold on. Oh, yep. We we can't have that much sushi talk without really flexing a little bit here. Do you like sushi? I've never had it. What and and nothing about Douglas? it. Nothing about it seems Kotecki. appealing to me. Okay, okay, hold on, wait a minute. You and I are doing a sushi road trip. Mm. Now I won't disclose our exact location, but let me tell you: if we'll get in the car and you tell me a number between forty and two hundred and twenty, and that's how many miles we'll drive to get the best sushi in the area, I. Love me some sushi. I don't eat the day before. I build up to it, and um, I absolutely destroy sushi. Well, that's good for you, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? You've never tried sushi? I have no desire to. So, folks who are out there listening to our, our abundant listeners out there, why don't you reach out to us through any of our channels and tell us your what you think Doug should try for sushi if he were to try his inaugural 
uh, sushi roll. I, I think voyage. A, a scorpion or a rainbow or a California. Maybe give them a little maki or eel right off the bat. Man, I want some sushi right now. And I'm really full at the moment, but I would go for some sushi. All right, back to the board game, Doug. All right, Sushi Go is essentially a drafting game. Played over three rounds, you're going to be drafting cards. And just as it said in the description, you're going to be drafting sashimi or nigiri. Uh, and wasabi is is adding points mm, in the yeah. order that you, you draft them. So if you draft your wasabi, you're going to score more points on the next nigiri that you you have and you're just collecting points it's a fairly simple simple drafting game i'm not sure there's much else i can do if you're drafting desserts those don't basically you're going to score every round the desserts carry over from round to round and and score at the end of the game but other yeah. than that that's the the crux of it is very simple basic game very simple what separates it apart from other very simple basic games is the social interaction mixed in with the artwork and when you, when you pass a card, it's one, two, three, sushi, go. So you're playing a card out of your hand, and then you're going to pass the cards to, to your left or to your right, depending on what round you're playing in. And because of that, it allows you to peek and see what other people have and kind of your own little set collection that you're working on. Um, the art's really cute. Yep. I, I, and uh, it's a fun, fast game with, with math built right into it, man. Yeah, so that hits on two things that I love about this game. One is the artwork is just adorable while you're playing it. The other thing is it's a great introduction to drafting games. If you want to learn a little bit more about drafting games, we talked about that in episode 10. If you want to go back into the archives and listen to that. But as Michael said, you get a hand of cards. You're going to pick one, pass the rest to the to the next player. And then you're going to receive the cards from the uh, the player to say your left, and you're going to get those cards. Pick mm-hmm. one and keep passing them. You keep passing them until all the cards are gone, and you've collected all of them. And you do that for three rounds, and at the yep. end, you add up what you have, and person with the most points wins. Yep. So, is there anything else that you want to highlight of things that you really liked about this game? Or it, it's fun. It's fast. It's family friendly. It's lightweight. What we mean by that, it can be taught to somebody in five or ten minutes. And I mean, like, if you have a a parent that's not a big board gamer or who kind of look, looks down on uh They'll have a lot of fun with this. It's it's a game that uh, breaks a lot of those gamer yeah. barriers. I've played this one with my parents, so that's a litmus test for me on whether you know how accessible this game is. They're I don't want to say they're anti-gamer, but well, my mom is anti-gamer. She'll say, oh, "I don't want to play games," and then she destroys everybody. Is <laughs> is this how you win? <laughs> um, my which is funny. My grandma had the same same skill, but. You can play, there's the basic game, and then there's also Sushi Go Party, which is an expanded, kind of a blown-up version that has way more cards and variation, but doesn't add to the complexity. And one of my nitpicks normally on a drafting game is that you need to play them at least once to understand how the cards work together and how what, what you're actually going through. Now, this game has a 15-minute playtime, so it's not the end of the world. Something like a Seven Wonders, you know, or other drafting games that are more complicated and you're talking, you know, 45, half hour to an hour investment in time, that can get hard. But it's really easy to play 
one or two rounds of sushi go and say, okay, we're going to reset and start now that everybody's got kind of an idea of what's going on yeah. here. And and play an open hand the first yeah. time around. The few times that I've been at a table where a new person is there, we've, we'll say, hey, we're going to play this first round as an open hand, and then we're going to start fresh. And so really, five minutes, and people get it, and you can go again. Yep. And so Sushi Go Party is great for that uh, next level. So if you're... You've played out Sushi Go. You can go to Sushi Go Party with no hiccups whatsoever with people that are familiar with the game. Only downsides is it comes in a tin, Sushi Go which Party, and regular, which I hate. Um, that was Doug, not Michael. Yeah. Game right. I'm a huge fan of the tins. I think they are beautiful <laughs> and delightful, and they look great right above our fireplace. And the other great thing about these is our, they're, you wanted to talk about, we talk about that stringent criteria, and one of those things is cost and obtainability. These are readily available, and the price is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I Amazon had the Sushi Go Party every about three or four times a year. Amazon's got a big board game sale, yeah. and, and this was just recently on there, and it was like sixteen dollars for for the Sushi right. Go Party, which is and Walmart the more always deluxe. has it for twenty bucks. I mean, yeah. anytime I'm walking by it, and it's there and, at Walmart, and I think. Sushi Go regular is like. Ten, ten dollars, yeah, seven ninety nine. A lot of times when it's yeah. on sale, that's the one that we have. We have the regular edition and the party edition. The cards feel nicer. I don't know if that's just because me and my Dorito hands and my children with all their um, little bites and granola bars that they bring not to covered the, in maple syrup maple. and bacon grease. <laughs> you, stop now! You're hitting, <laughs> those are facts. That's not exaggeration. <laughs> yeah, maple syrup from Eliza, bacon grease from me. Um, the, the cards are great. It's got the... Go ahead, man. No, no. I I was going to slam your kitchen table, but I won't. Oh, go... No, tell folks about the kitchen table. It's the one I grew up on. My, 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 Michael's, Michael's rubbing so much maple syrup into that table, he's trying to put a new coat on the top. It's yeah. going to turn into a hard sap surface. It's like in Jurassic Park where they talk about the mosquito that's been taken from the amber. There's Future a, civilizations. Cornflakes soaked in amber. Come from the... Maple syrup on our table. Yes. Anyways. Uh, all right. Well, on the surface, how can a ten dollar game? Oh, hold on. I got a few oh. more things I like oh, about this. Is okay. that okay? No. Yeah. Uh, yep. So not only the the quality of the cards, it's it's a game where if you have a two year old, three year old, the the cards are so playful, you can almost run a little side toddler game with the discard pile, and that's something that that we did a few years back when when our our oldest was you know a, a littler monster. Um, just give her a handful of cards, and she's playing with the sushi cards over on the side, and we're able to play an actual game. And it's one of those few games where where you can actually do that. The other thing, you know, the because it's ten bucks, it, it fits in a purse, it fits in a pocket. The, mm-hmm. This is a game that fits in a shirt pocket, the the standard edition, and and take it with you. So I'm not ashamed to say it's one that I've actually wrapped in a in a hair tie that tells you that I have three daughters. Uh, but if you have a rubber band and you know what's interesting you could, is you wouldn't need to use that hair tie if it came in a standard box instead of a tin that'll <laughs> All right. bust open at a moment's I, notice. <laughs> I like the tin. The tin tin adds character. Uh, <laughs> keep keep yeah. bringing the tins game right. All right. Anything else? No. All right. So on the surface, how can a $10 game be educational? We talked about educational gaming games suck. How can this game be educational? Well, it is. And both of us have five skills that we think are present in this game that your kids can pick up on just by playing. 
Michael, what do you got first? Or do you want me to go first? You always confidence. Get confidence, I, yep. I've got confidence in here. As the game is played over three rounds, it's hard to play an entire game of Sushi Go and not actually uh, um, complete a set. So it's that accumulation of, okay, I, I got four or five dumplings. I I made this with my nigiri. And... Um, I, that, that I think I've just watched in my own kiddos that confidence build. Yep. Well, I will do the inverse of that. This is a game that also teaches resilience, especially when it comes to the desserts. I have that as well. Um, some of the, but I wanted that card. Yeah. When you have a wasabi that you're waiting to use on on the next nigiri. Um, and I'm, was it the tempura? That's the, uh, I was just looking through your tin for that card. Yeah. Yeah. The set. You know, so it's it's zero points if you don't get enough, and but if you get enough, it's like ten points. So there's those type of things that it's a drafting game. There's a chance that somebody's going to take something that you want, and that's part of. I'll just lead into so anyway, resilience a game that teaches students to quickly recover from and cope with difficulties, which leads into my next one, which is risk management which is a game in which students must identify, evaluate, and prioritize options to reduce the impact of unfortunate events or risks. Can you read that definition again and read it even faster? That, <laughs> you were like the micro-machines guy there, man. You a got game, these memorized. A game in which students must identify, evaluate, and prioritize options to reduce the impact of unfortunate events or risks. Look at that theater major in practice yeah. here. Good. Um, Good. But this pops up when... In a smaller player count, when you're going to see cards again, yep, and you say, uh, "How do I let that go? Can I can I leave that in there? Maybe to last around, or even that thing where it's like the wasabi. Do I take the wasabi and hope that there's a nigiri coming my way? And there might not be. Yeah, and um, with dumpling too, it's the same thing. You're doing that calculation. There are some. What's what's the one where it's most? If you have the most, I think that's the. Dump, uh, the, the, or the nope, dumpling that's a is, dessert. Yep, yep. So the if you dessert. have the most desserts, so you're kind of taking a peek. Well, I'm too ahead of everybody. Oop, this turn I'm tied. Yeah, so. and there is one card in there too, the chopsticks card, which allows you that. to basically take the chopstick, which does nothing, but at a certain point you can put the chopstick back into your thing to take two cards yeah. that round. So that's well, you a, put the chopstick down and basically, yeah, it, you, by you, by passing a turn, you then get to pick up two cards later on. Yeah, yeah. and then the chopstick goes back into the into the pile. Yeah. Um, risk management, good. Yeah, so risk management. You have confidence, resilience, and risk management. I also I don't have confidence. Oh, I had confidence. Okay, I'm, I I also have poor co- self esteem. No confidence over here. Um, I have competition, and this seems to be coming up in a lot of our games that we've. Uh, had lately and recently as a skill that's developed. And and when we go through our stringent criteria, this is one that we often talk about. And we define competition in the game schooling setting as a game that develops healthy competitive habits as two or more parties compete for a goal that cannot be shared. What Doug had just talked about with risk management, that competitiveness is also built in there in what I would say in a pleasant way of, oh, but I wanted that card. Or, oh, shoot, you got the dumpling. Uh, but the game moves forward, and you have to move forward with it. So Yeah, and sometimes you don't know. That's also on my list. The other thing is you don't know which cards are in the deck. Yeah. It's not every card comes out every time. So, you know, you might be hoping for a, a dessert later in the game, and 
there might, might not be any in there. Out. So yeah. that's that's definitely in there. Uh, with any drafting game, you can't you can't not have tactical thinking. It's got to be in the game. I have it on my list. Which is a game that challenges students to make decisions based on currently available information. All you can work with is the the cards that are in front of the other players and the cards that you're looking at in your hand to pick one. You know, and it's that choice of do I let it go? What's the best pick for me right now based on what I know? It's in most drafting games, dealing with what I have in front of me, make a decision. There's not a lot of long-term strategy going on in this game. Uh, um, in a two-player game, you can kind of balance the both only thing hands that it, and go Rain Man style on it. <laughs> yeah. But what? But, but the, you get up to four-player. No, and the I only long-term strategy is is the desserts, and I don't even think that you can plan for that. And it's not it's not I necessary. Think you and I to have plan. a different definition of long term. One because term does me, not make long term. Long term can be three minutes, and I think in your world, long term is an hour. No, I don't think long term. I don't think of it as actual time. I think of it as can I set up a game plan before the game exists mm-hmm. or starts? Mm-hmm. You can't do that in this game. No we, way. No, okay, I agree so, with that. Yeah, so I, the, I agree that's with that what long term strat. That's what strategic thinking. And long-term strategy is to me is can I set up a game plan and follow it? This I'm with you, man. Oh. I had tactical. I didn't have strategic. I'm not arguing just to argue. I just um, we'll, we'll have to do some more work on that one long-term. That's good stuff. <laughs> uh, my fifth skill is actually one of our core concept skills, which we don't talk about a ton, but kindness and courtesy. And our, our, our description with this, core concept skill is there's a general rule we use when playing tabletop games with our families or students. Don't be a jerk. Tabletop games teach students to treat others with kindness, courtesy, and respect so everyone can enjoy the game. And I, I've talked about this openly and frequently on this show. The first time I came to game night, I was just struck by how kind people were. And the first time I went to a board game convention, you know, I was used to going to either conferences as a, as a building leader or a, as a basketball coach where you can smell the ego a quarter mile when you're walking up and just how kind people are at the game table and courteous and helpful. This game brings that out. Um, at what I will say, this game provides an arena to teach those skills because of the drafting and you're not going to get your way. So how do you want to act? And guess what? Sometimes you might get your way. Are you going to taunt the person next to you? Or are you going to just keep keep going? Um, so that's a core concept skill that I see is evident in, in Sushi Go. At least it is in our house when we play it. I Honestly, I haven't played this in a classroom setting. So I, I don't know how it would be if we brought out, you know, eight games with 24 kiddos ages 12 to 15. But uh, I, I certainly see that in this game when we play it in our house. All right. Well, the last one for me. You're done, right? That's your five? Five. All right. My last one is going to make Michael so happy. And I'm, I'm modifying, and we'll talk about this off air, but I'm modifying the definition of this because I think it needs to be altered. I thought you said you're going to make me happy. You're going ahead and changing our definitions. Yeah. No, the last one I have is comprehension. Oh, yeah. Which is a game that bolsters, and here's where I'm going to change it, a student's ability to process text and symbols 
and I under- wanted to change it to that. Go back and listen to episode four when I was talking about decoding. Go ahead. And understand and understand its meaning. So yeah. to me, it's and, and this one's not even the symbols, but it's it's understanding how the points score in the community of the game. You know, you need to understand how they all work together as a whole unit. And it's it's not every it's not in every game and not every game do you need to understand every facet of a game, but this game is so tight and compact that the only way to excel at it is to know all of the cards in the game and how they work together and when to make those tactical decisions. And when to combine cards. And to be able to combine cards, you have to understand what the symbol says in the bottom left. And if you can't read the words on the card at the bottom right, but if you know your numbers, one through five and into the double digits, and can I can can comprehend what the symbol means in the upper left of the card, I, I think that's spot on. You're right. I, I love that that's in here. Um, I honestly thought about putting it on my skills, but then I thought through the episode and how we would argue, and I didn't think it was a winning argument, so I left it off my list. So I'm really glad to see it on the list. It's it's in a lot of the games that we've reviewed lately, whether it's Forbidden Island, Planet, SOS Dino. Um, there's a lot of comprehension in those games that are targeted to that 8, 10, 12-year-old uh, audience. Yeah, so that is... Unless there's anything else, that is Sushi Go. Let's move on to the School of Gaming. The School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be talking about learning games and the scar of the screen, or as Doug wrote it here on the script, the scars of screen time. Doug, tell us yeah. about learning games. All right, learning games. I wanted to, to attack this one uh, with in two ways, right? One is how you personally learn a game and learning from somebody that's teaching you the game. Kind of two separate things, but part of the same same sides of the coin, right? Yeah, same universe. Bring it. So on your own... And these are just some kind of helpful hints of, and this doesn't mean that you need, you're the one teaching the game. Maybe you just want to learn how to play a game. Obviously, you can read the rule book. I understand that that's not everybody's cup of tea. The other thing you can do, we talked about in the teaching, teaching a game, which is back in episode one, we talked about tips for teaching a game, but there are a lot of video and content creators that are making how to play videos. They're fantastic. Watch it played by Rodney Smith, I think is a gold standard to watch if you want to learn everything from setup to to play through all the rules. And I think you can pretty much walk away from hit one of his videos without having to ever touch the rule book. The third, which you'd think might be a waste of time, but I think, you know, and I've been in gaming for 10 years. And, and I think if you had told me this at the beginning, I would have thought, Oh, that's so dumb. It's just a waste of time. But as I've gone on, I've, I've really seen the value of it, but is taking the rule book and setting up the game. Yeah. Putting those components in your hand, seeing where they fit on the table, and then even doing some sample rounds or manipulating the pieces as they are in the game can 
yeah, especially if you're reading a rule book and you're just like, I just, how is this working again? Yeah. You know, because, you know, that's just the facts of reality. Not rule books are not all created equal. Right. Some of them are really good. Some of them not so much. And well, and some of them are really good for for us, you know, for for folks who speak English as as the first language. And then there are other games that are clearly designed, whether it's in German or French. And sometimes things are just lost in translation because yep. uh, board games, designers, rule books, it's an international deal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it can be all over the place, but don't discredit that as a way of just. Like I said, just manipulating and, and and the tactile nature of holding cards, picking them, drawing them, seeing how the actions actually function, that type of thing can go a long way, which leads to the next part of learning games, which is learning from someone else. So here are my tips from being on the teaching side of games and on the learning side of the game. One if you can watch, if you know in advance you're going to be playing a game, if you can watch a two or three minute overview video just to get an, a, a basic idea of what you're going to be looking at, that goes a long way of just getting you in the universe of the game and kind of understanding the overarching uh, direction of the game, which I think can add a lot. The second thing when learning from somebody else is don't interrupt, <laughs> which seems, I don't know, it seems basic, but when you're trying to teach a game, it can really throw you off when people interrupt with questions or don't be the person that says, all right, shut up, stop explaining, let's play the game, or, you know, those type of things where it's just like not everybody picks it up that way. Yeah. And I would say nine out of 10 times, the person that says, well, let's just play and then we'll figure it out is the person that asked 10 questions throughout the game that would have been explained had you just let the person finish. Yeah. Um, and I know it's hard. It's hard when not everybody's the best at teaching a game, when you have questions as they pop up. But sometimes like it's like watching a movie with with somebody and you've already seen that movie and the person says, oh, well, who's that guy? And it's like, well, just wait 30 seconds and they're going to tell you who that yeah. guy is because you know. you know. So some of the questions are going to get answered. They're just not being presented in the order that you want to listen to them. And I think that is, I guess, is my, my advice is that old cliche of hold the questions until the end is true. Okay. And, and to just let the teacher do their thing and then ask questions when they've wrapped up because throwing that flow off can really be detrimental and then it just becomes scattershot. And I don't know how often it is that the, the person teaching the game is, is bad or if their flow just got thrown off because people are asking questions. The other thing that I'm usually not very good at is if you also know the rules of the game and somebody else is teaching try to butt out you know i'm not great at that i i think if somebody is saying something that's a not actual an accurate rule you know to to try and interrupt um but i know sometimes that you think that you're you're being helpful and oh, i'll just jump in here and again that if that's taking away from the flow 
of what the original teacher is trying to do that can be more do more harm than good. Now, if the if the person's looking for a life preserver, by all means, then at that point jump in and and help pick up the load. But um, so those are just some thoughts that I had about you know how tips of how we can learn games and different things. But but more importantly. What do we do while we're learning a game? So I, I understood why not to interrupt, and but I don't understand why you shouldn't interject if somebody else is teaching. Are you saying that's essentially the same as interrupting? Yeah, to some okay. extent, and 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 there may be once there's two or three voices. You know, I try and put myself in the position of if if there's two people and the third person doesn't know the game then I've and I'm that third person that doesn't know the game I've got directions coming from me from two different places sure and I think that that can be um do more harm than good sometimes we're just like oh okay now wait you know you're dividing the focus which isn't isn't great um oh that's great and I think watching the overview video is such a good suggestion to get an idea of the game um, for myself for learning games and trying to get better at teaching games, I combine all three of those options that you talked about. I'll, I'll watch a video, I'll read the rule book, and I'll get the pieces out and see how they fit, especially if I have questions. And sometimes it's for games that I've played and know really well, but I want to review. A game that comes to mind is Horrified. You know, getting ready to go see family this weekend, need to take two or three games, and it was, oh yeah, how's that work again? So for me, the strategies that you outlined aren't only about learning the game the first time. Sometimes it's for relearning the game. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, and it's it's one of those things where every game, it seems, it's a rarity for for a game not to have that weird little odd rule Yeah, that is so easily forget. You can get the general idea, but then there's a lot of times, in a, especially like you said, horrified or a cooperative game, and I, I bring it to the table, and then I get done playing, and I'm like, oh, we forgot to do that one little rule that then makes all the difference just like this weird appendix rule yeah you know so those those are something that you have to keep an eye out for all right well let's cheer up this mood with the well yeah and we talked about it last, last week we we prefaced it this is the the bookend of a three-part series two weeks ago we looked at just flat out screen time and threw out some statistics and numbers and looked at um the, the census for eight-year-olds to 18-year-olds that was put out by Common Sense Media in October of 2019. Then last week, we looked at and really just asked questions and framed the question of what is the impact of parents who are high-usage screen time users? What's the impact of me on my phone, me with my laptop open, me at work with, with, with a phone and a laptop? And what, what's that impact on our kids? And this week, we're getting into some territory where if we were putting a rating on it, it's definitely going to venture into the PG-13, um, you know, a little bit. We're going to talk about serious topics here. So if you have kiddos or if you're listening, whether you're in the kitchen or or in, in your car, just keep that in mind. Um, I'm certainly not going to get into rated R land, but I will be talking about um, some pretty serious topics and honestly, some topics that sometimes if, if they were to come up on a podcast I'm listening to and have kids in the car, I'm just going to go to a different podcast because I, I would choose to filter that out of, of my kiddos' um, ears. 
So as Doug said, onto the, the big cheery, happy topic of the scar of the screen is, is really what, what we're, um, we're calling this school of gaming. So there is a litany of research, 2007, 2012, and, and we can put some of this in our show notes. We could talk to you about it, uh, but screens disrupt the sleep cycle. And that, that has been documented time and time again. And there are there is study after study about the impact of um, screen on teenagers and tweenagers, that 8 to 12-year-old range, with sleep. Um, you know, the Guerrero, Barnes, uh, Chaput, and Tremblay did an article in, oh, I had the year written down, where that year go? In 2018. Uh, that just documented it inside and out. And then um, Twang and Campbell, and, and the name for Twang, I'm spelling it in case people want to actually go look up this article. This, this is a phenomenal one, okay? T-W-E-N-G-E. Uh, so Gene Twang and Keith Campbell, 2018, did an article, Associations Between Screen Time and Lower Psychological Well-Being Among Children and Adolescents. So you've got the terms here, well-being, and screen time. So they looked at high usage versus low usage. So just just set that aside for one moment. And and Doug, you know, from that Common Sense Media article, we'll give you a little quiz here from two weeks ago. Do you remember the average screen time user for 8 to 12-year-olds? Uh, three hours a day. Close. Four hours, 22 minutes. And do you remember the jump? That it went to for teenagers, 13 to 18 year olds, jumped all the way up to six, seven hours and 22 minutes a day per day. Yeah. Yikes. That's yeah. a full time job, folks. It, it is, man. Don't you wish there was a, a pension or a 401k or something for screen time? Um, but in all seriousness, you know, this article from Twang and Campbell in 2018, their findings are startling. You've got uh, and I'm going to read word for word here, twice as many high versus low users of screens had an anxiety or depression diagnosis. So a high screen user was defined as seven hours per day. Every average teenager, a low screen user was defined as one hour per day. Twice as many high versus low users of screens had an anxiety or depression diagnosis. So this study, you know, juxtaposed and compared high uses versus low usage. That that's not symptoms. That's not behaviors. Diagnosis. That's by a medical doctor. So I think that's something right there when we talk about the scar of the screen. It's not that it's not that screens are bad. It's not that screens are evil. That's not what we're saying. And we've both been very open about, you know, our background and, and being raised on television and video and good luck winning a, a battle with Doug and pop culture. But it is to say the frequency and the amount is alarming. And so if the average teen is in the high usage category... That means the average team, if you're just putting two of these studies together, which is dangerous territory, it's a slippery slope, and, and we're, we're not on a, on a cable news show here, but if you were putting these two studies together, you're saying that the average teen who's seven hours a day or more is twice as likely to have a depression or anxiety diagnosis. And a lot of times those diagnoses, what, what's going to come with them? 
you know, medication, loss of school, um, dis disrupted, you know, friend groups and all those pieces that come with that. So when we talk about the scar of the screen, you know, the, the, the cut that come with it are the wandering mind, the, the attention grabbing that constantly happens when you have a screen on or multiple screens on and you're actively engaged. The scar is a long-term impact of high usage. And, you, you know, in one project that Doug and I are working on, we, we talk about this much, much further, and we're, we're diving deeper into this. But the other piece I just want to leave listeners with and then send it back to you, Doug, and I'm getting a little cotton mouth too. I can feel, feel myself getting a little passionate here. But if somebody, you take the, the one hour versus the seven hour, right, per day, think of the amount of opportunities and activities to interact and just be a kid that that person is missing in those six hours. Think of what somebody can do in six hours. You know, I was thinking about this today and just doing a little bit of writing. You could be on a basketball team, have a job at Culver's to support the basketball team, go to church and participate in a family game night, and still have time left over to read a book or play outside or just hang out with your friends in the same amount of time as a person who's actively engaged in screens. So if you look at the activities and you compound that over time, 12 years, 13 years, 14 years, 15 years, the amount of time and what's lost, that... That's just astounding uh, to me as, as yeah, as an educator, but more so as a parent and really thinking this through with, with teenagers. So I'm going to send it back to you before I'm going to get a drink of water here too before my mouth gets any more dry over here. Yeah, I think the the big takeaway for me on some of this stuff is is not that we're suggesting that board games can or should take up those six or seven hours. No, you'll have but, neck grime and, and, and long nails. But but the key here is that you can take an hour of that time. And yeah. and you're not saying, hey, just go do something else. You're giving them an active, engaging activity for them to be involved in. You can engage as a family, as a parent, as a teacher and a student and, and reinvest in their lives and, and, and bring that community back together. And it's, it's a little chunk, you know, like Michael said, all the things that you could do in six or seven hours in a day, let's just take one, let's yeah. just get one and get that back to, um, to our kids and to the family and get them invested in something else. That's not an abstract idea, you know? Yeah. And so to circle back, the article that I referenced, um, you know, I had a teacher that that talked. Here's how you break down an article because you're not going to read 50 articles and write a paper. You're just not going to do that. You read the title, you read the abstract, and you look at the facts and figures. And if you really like it and it's good, then you go back to all the people that they cited, and now your paper's written for you because you just go and, and you research what they did, and look, it's done, right? Well, Here's why I want to go back and do a, a deep read of, of this article and look at the research that they put together. Um, and I'm talking about the Twang and Campbell. They concluded that low users, so one hour per day, right? And non-users, zero hours per day, no difference in well-being. And so to me, where that was startling, we're like, well, you know, when we hear about moderation and one hour a day screen time, yeah, it's not going to really 
have an impact on your well-being seven hours a week. It's not. So where I want to go back and look at that article, I want to look at the the next categories and really see if high usage is seven hours per day, what's the next category down and, and really dig into their findings. I don't think it'll come back to School of Gaming. It's just one of those pieces where uh, this is the part of research that I really love and, and get into and enjoy and, and where other people then, you know, go out and do studies and find out what's going on. Um, then just to correct the Guerrero and Barnes article that was from 2019, I, Doug, I know you won't, you won't care. And, uh, but somebody out there will, and that was screen time and problem behaviors in children. And it was exploring the mediating role of sleep duration, meaning, so how does screen time and sleep duration work together? So, um, that, that's really it this week, talking about the, the scar of the screen, um, something's on my mind and, you know, I don't want to talk out of both ends of my mouth because I'm working from home now still, and I've got a five-year-old who's doing doing homeschool. So there are days where my five-year-old, so I know from, from this research we've been doing and been talking about, she should not have more than two hours of screen per day. She, she just shouldn't. And I'll have days where it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and in my head it's, she's already five hours in. What am I going to do? How do I? And so it, it's a really tough balance right now. And it's not yeah. one where I have the answers, but part of the work that we're doing is if it's after dinner on a Wednesday night, let's get a board game. Don't just yeah. don't just run run out to, and 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 get back on your devices and watch your Kelly Maple or your Minecraft or or let's go outside and play tag. Let, let's 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 do something. So um, that's that's where I'm at today with that, Doug. All right. Well, you are not in a unique situation, that's for sure, especially with everything that's going on in the world. Let's move on to some happier things. Woo! Let's, woo, woo, woo! All right, Ric Flair. <laughs> Let's move on to the High Five Challenge. My alligator shoes cost more than your house. Well, if you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. Each week for the High Five Challenge, I'll share a top five list of family-friendly games, and Michael has chosen the topic. So what is this week's topic? Word games. Word. Word to your mother. All right. My mother loves word games. (laughs) All right. Well, I've got two honorable mentions before we get into the proper list. Uh, The first one is a game called Spell Smashers. This is from Renegade Games. The thing that I like about this game is it is a Scrabble-type game, but you are using your words to defeat monsters, and sometimes... Monsters have a susceptibility to a different letters and vowels. Spell what? Smashers. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. And so I, I like that about this game, that it's not about who can make the largest word. Sometimes you have to make a clever word. And you can make a smaller word to beat the monster that you're trying to beat, which is, you know, usually some of these games are, well, I've got the biggest vocabulary you know, so I'm going to dominate. And this guy, this game kind of prevents that a little bit. So I have a chance to win is what you're saying. If yeah, I'm playing this yeah. against your ma, I, I yeah. have a chance. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Good. And the second honorable mention is Trap Words. Oh, that's a great game. Which is uh, a game where you're working through a dungeon uh, in groups of, uh, in two teams. And the, similar to Taboo, where the team has to try and make one 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 member of the team has to make their other teammates guess a word without saying certain words. Yeah. Except those words are determined by the other team. 
So if I need to get Michael to guess hair, maybe the other team is, you know, put head on their, you know, list of words. And if I say one of those words, I lose. I lose. We don't. We don't get the points. The other team gets the points. So. Really, and then they move up on the board or the track yeah, based on yeah, that. Through, and they're go. little monsters. It's yep. it's a fun one. Yep. All right. So let's get on to the list proper. Um, I had to throw this one on at, at, at number five. It usually devolves into an activity as opposed to a game, but it's so good, which is Balderdash. And yeah, man. I think I think Balderdash now comes with original Balderdash was you'd take a word. And whoever was the uh, whoever's the start player, I guess, take a word from a dictionary. You write down the word, the actual definition. Everybody else writes their own definition. You sc- scramble them all up, and then people vote on which one they think is the actual definition. And whoever gets the most point, m- most guesses, is getting points. That type of thing. It has evolved to include movie title you know movies and you you say the synopsis and book titles and inventions and things like that so it's not strictly limited to words anymore but super super fun game one of those games from the childhood that we you referenced last week in the big rectangular box or two weeks yes. ago <laughs> no, yeah and like, i actually didn't even play this until i was an adult oh really yeah yeah we had this one growing up this so, one got played often all right, so number four on the list is Paperback, which is a Fowers game. This is a deck-building Scrabble game, uh, and it can actually be played cooperatively too, and that's kind of a unique unique facet of this game, but you're essentially building words to acquire new letters to build more words and get more points, and just a fun Fun take on combining an old school game like Scrabble with new school mechanisms like deck building. So great game there. Paperback. You love that one, don't you? You it's talk a good about game. it often. It's a good yeah. game. There's also a alternative version I haven't played that's called Hardback, which is I, I I don't know how similar it is, but same same general concept from what I understand. Uh number three is code names which is we've talked about before, but again, played in teams. One person is a clue giver. They need to say a one-word clue and then put a number after it. That number relates to a number of cards that are laid out in the grid on the table, and you are trying to get your team to guess your words. The opponents are trying to get their team to guess their words, and there is one assassin card in there, And if anybody guesses that word, they immediately lose. So you're trying to get your team to guess all of their words uh, before the other team. So have you purchased any new editions of Codenames since we talked about it a few weeks ago? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm positive. I see the big box. I see the Simpsons. I see the the regular. Okay, yep. Moving on. I I only see four. You forgot the Disney one back there. No, I'm looking right at it, Doug. Well, I haven't gotten the Harry Potter one. (laughs) All right, so number two is Just One. I love that game. Uh, This is a party game in which... My kids are really good at that game. Yeah, it's a cooperative game. Uh, The player has a card facing away from them with, I think, five numbers on or five words on it. They pick a number, one through five. Everybody else on the table is going to write down a one-word clue for that word. And then 
when everybody is done, they all compare those. And if two people have written down the same clue, they're erased and yeah. don't get presented to the player. And then everybody turns around their little placard and the the player needs to guess the word based on the clues that they're getting. And as you would imagine, they only get one guess, just one guess. All right. And the number one is Decrypto. Whoa. Now I wish I would have bought this at the Amazon sale. All right. So now this one is going to be hard. It's, I don't want to say it's hard to teach. It's one of those that you have to play like one round. It's one of the hardest games I've had to teach, but once you get it, you get it, and it's amazing. Basically, you play in teams, and my team has three words or four words facing me that I can see. I draw a card. Say Michael's my teammate. I draw a card, and the card will have a a three-digit code on it, and it's going to be, say, 413. I need to write down clues to make Michael guess words four, one, and three that are in that that order on my my board, our board. So I'm going to write down a word that's similar, something where I can get him to guess the order of the words properly. Sure. The other team is doing that too. And as you go along, the other team is going to tr- be trying to break your code. So as and they're keeping track of the clues that you've given. So at a certain point, they may be able to guess, oh, well, based on what he, what clues he gave, I guess that their thing is 413. And if you're right, you intercept the code. Well, if you do that twice, you win the game. Now, if Michael is unable to get 413 and he's on my team, he can't decipher my code, we get a miscommunication token. If we get two of those, we lose. Okay. So we're trying I to play this game once. We're trying to guess what the other people are doing and and keep giving clues to ourselves between ourselves. So it's just a really great word game and the some of the stretches and logic because you're trying to make it tricky so the other other team doesn't decode your your clues. Yeah. Without making it so abstract that your own teammate doesn't know what what you're talking about. So great game to crypto. And that is my high five list of word games. There is one game that I thought may make it, but I haven't played it yet, which is letter jam. Oh, sure. So I don't know how that one. I like it. I mean, I have that in my collection. It's also from check games and you're going to hear some of that in the uh, five to one here. So honorable mention spell smashers and trap words. Trap words comes from check games. Uh, 2018 Balderdash 1984 came in at five in the four spot. We have Tim Fowers paperback from 2014. And in three, we have code names from 2015. That's from check games at two. We have just one 2018 from repos and coming in at number one for best word game, according to Doug, is Decrypto <laughs> from 2018. And is it from Scorpion or Le Scorpion? Or who, who who's the publisher of that? If someone wants to get Decrypto, just go to Amazon Yellow. and get Decrypto. Yellow. Oh, Yellow. Yeah. Okay. okay. That would be the 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 publisher, the design studio is Le Scorpion Masque, yeah. right? Okay. Yep. yep. Yeah. And then I, I missed the just one designer as Ludovic Rowdy and uh, Bruno Sauter. And that... 
Um, those are those are great games. Those are great games to play with families, with with friends. Pretty easy games to to learn and and teach. Um, and a lot of them are pretty well available, I think. So. Yes, and even yes. the honorable mentions are certainly available as well too. So good good game there if you want to boost up some vocabulary with your kids. Awesome, Doug. All right, so if you like what we're doing here. Please subscribe to the podcast. Give us a listen. Tell your friends that we exist. Like us on Facebook. If you've got questions, let us know. We'd be happy to answer. Three years from now, you're going to get sushi suggestions. Somebody's going to listen. <laughs> I'd be delighted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll film it someday. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's all I got. That's all you got. Okay. Yeah. So follow us on Twitter at GameSchoolerU. You can download your free copy of Naming a Virus today at GameSchooler.com. And, and before I get out of there, if you heard any screaming kids in the background or anything like that, that's our own children. Family came over for a little cookout, so we thought we'd get a, get a podcast going and, and fit it in. So any screaming kids, trust me, there are other parents who are watching them. Doug and I are not <laughs> in charge of those screaming kids at this moment. Allegedly. <laughs> We're, the first... We're going to get comments from people that are going to be like, I heard some kids in the background. You're, you need to clean up your audio. <laughs> but, I, hey, if you do that, I'll still be happy to communicate with you. So thank you very much. On behalf of Michael and myself, we want to thank you for spending the last hour or so with us. We really appreciate it. Now get out there and start game schooling.